success. Eyes that lock are sacred institutions. Bedroom eyes, they call them in a bygone day. Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today. I am here with an amazing guest, Daryl Mack. Thank you, Daryl, for being here with us today. Well, thank you. And thanks for calling me amazing. I haven't had that for a long time. So. <laughs> what, magnanimous? Uh, what did they move you up to? We'll keep this friendly. I've been called all kinds of things. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, no. No, we're on the little blue pill for business, so uh, nothing needs to be kept clean. And by the way, audience just found out that I got to pop Daryl's tech cherry uh, today. First time on Zoom. Congratulations. Welcome Yay. to the crowd. <laughs> awesome. So give us a 5,000 foot view, who you are, what you do, and all that kind of fun stuff. All right. I'm a stand-up comic and, uh, and an actor. I've been doing stand-up comedy since 1993, and that was my main source of income for many, many years. Um, sadly, with this whole pandemic thing, it has had the rug pulled out from underneath it. And uh, a lot of artists are suffering uh, with the shutdown. All the comedy clubs disappeared. I had some corporate shows that were very good paying ones that uh, suddenly were canceled or postponed until who knows when. And uh, it's slowly starting to come back now with all the distancing rules. But uh, okay, oh, you wanted a snapshot of who I was and see I performed right across Canada I've done shows in the US Costa Rica UK and Australia done a few cruise ships and uh, been on TV and radio and XM satellite radio and now I'm sitting here hoping it all comes back excellent well and I, I know that you're hilarious I've seen your stuff and I can't wait for it to come back too so uh, I know there's other ways of doing things, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. So what was the media effect for you guys? Because I'm assuming that you, like everybody else, just the doors closed and everybody went home and stayed there and went, oh, shit, now what? Exactly. Um, I had, uh, what, about three days before the lockdown, I had a very good paying corporate gig that was suddenly like, no, it can't be done. And all my other future work was canceled. And all the rooms in uh, Calgary, we had a really good scene here. There's a lot of uh, open mic rooms where you could go down and practice material. And, and once in a while, there's little paid spots to do MC or, or close the show as a headliner. All of that just disappeared. Like overnight, the industry was just closed. And luckily for me, I do have some sellable skills to make an income. I feel sorry for some of the artists that only depended on their art and had nothing else because they're sitting there waiting for Trudeau's little handout on that curb program or um, just wondering where their, their money was going to come from. So I've been subsidizing my income by uh, dusting off my class one license. That's, that's kind of how I started comedy. I was a long haul truck driver, had a little pocket recorder and you've got all day to think of stuff. And I would record it down, listen to it later. And it was about 80% of it was junk and we'd get a race. And I've gotten to the point where now it's more like 20% is junk and gets a race. And I use my phone recorder now, but 
uh, doing long haul trucking during the summer because summer's always slow and then doing mostly comedy during fall, winter and spring. Nice. So have you found that you've had some time to brush up on your comedy skills and going back to your roots going, hey, maybe I can take advantage of this. <laughs> yeah. I brush up if you mean uh, get rustier. Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of chances to go on stage. Um, comedy Monday night, uh, there's the logo there. The longest running open mic comedy show in Canada and uh, probably the best open mic stage in the entire world from what I've seen. Uh, nice. We open with reduced capacity and all kinds of um, rules and regulations, but we have had a couple of shows there and I've gone down and done some guest spots and it's been fun. Like I know the audiences want comedy because the very first show back, the MC uh, was Marito Lopez and he had to spray sanitizer on the microphone that the performers were using. And the first time he sanitized the microphone, it got an applause break. That's, <laughs> that's how starved people are for entertainment. They've been in their blanket forts thinking the world's going to end. It's like, hey, a microphone's getting sanitized. And they went nuts. I went, okay, this will be fun. And everybody on the show was rusty as hell. But everybody had a great response. And the audience didn't heckle uh, they gave everyone uh, as much attention as they could because they want this to uh, come back. Oh, I've absolutely. Twice. And then on Canada Day, uh, a friend of mine did a, a backyard comedy show. Her daughter loves comedy. So she set up a little lounge in her backyard. And it was, it was a lot of fun. We were under a big tarp in case it rained, but we were outside. Everyone was distanced properly. And uh, there was like, was it four of us on the bill? And it was so much fun to just hang out with friends again and have oh, a couple of awesome. drinks. Well, yeah, and there's got to be other ways to be able to kind of augment, if you will, um, business and be able to get out there because, I mean, God knows that laughter is the best medicine. Oh, it yeah. always has been. It always will be. We need it now more than ever. And it's been kind of one of those things that, ironically, in this in, uh, time, I've kind of took, taken a foray into um, just because the timing seemed to be right to start the little blue pill for business and God knows it's all about humor and, yeah. and just making people laugh and not taking shit so seriously. And yeah, we can talk about business, but we can have fun doing it now. And, and it doesn't have to be so laden. There are people taking shit very seriously. If you follow some of my Facebook fights, I mean, <laughs> debates, uh, but there are, I have seen some of my peers do um, online uh, comedy thing uh, performances, but you have no audience. And the thing with stand-up comedy is we feed off the energy the audience gives us. If you can't see them and hear them laughing, you don't get that energy. So I refrain from doing that because to me, it just degraded the art form. It just mm. wasn't the same. Uh, but what has been happening lately, and I just had a couple of uh, online exchanges of uh, information and ideas with other comics. There's a few of them doing backyard comedy shows all over. There's one that's a fire pit tour. And my buddy Scott Dumas out in Camer was doing it on if you have a, a deck so he was calling it the big deck comedy tour and he would perform on the deck so i like the guy with the big deck yeah the big deck yeah so there are <laughs> some outdoor shows and i'm just putting together some stuff uh, right now to uh, pursue that because i'd like to do a few while the weather's warm it seems summer shifted so september should be warm because may and june sucked and do a few outdoor ones and i'm trying to put the piece together to put together a large outdoor comedy show i'm just putting the cost analysis together, see if we can do it. It'll be about two and a half hours outside of Calgary in a place with camping. It'll be an outdoor stage. So it'll be safer than being indoors because if you're outdoors, the risk factor of this uh, virus is uh, much, much lower and it's easier to space people uh, for the distancing rules. 
And that is what I'm working on right now, just trying to get all the all the ducks in a row, shall we say. Nice. Well, that sounds like fun. Are you doing it as a collaboration with some others? Do you have a team uh, to work it's on? It's going to be an offshoot of a show that I produced for about uh, 14, 15 years. I used to do it in BC. It was called the Kootenai Gutbuster, the KGB show. And it was a two-day outdoor comedy. Well, some people call that a festival. Some call it a, a, a concert. But my buddy James Moore, who does Comedy Monday Night, said it best. It's a two-day comedy bender. And what we would do is start off with a band and they would play until the people were all seated. And once dusk hit, the band would wrap up. We'd put on some canned music, change the stage, and then the comedy would start and it would go till about midnight. And it was a lot of fun because laughing outdoors with a large group, if you haven't experienced it, it's one of the coolest things. And the great part was we were wrapped up by midnight. And so after that, people would just go back to their cottages or campsites and that so there was no large drunken crowd to deal with at 2 a.m they had been dispersed into small little you know groups uh, and we would do two nights two completely different shows same band but they had two different sets and the, the band I used was uh, Maria and Shadowstock and she is amazing because she does comedy in her music so it was a great warm-up and she loves to laugh and when she laughs she snorts <laughs> and one, one year we had people with a big uh piece of poster board up on the stage counting her snorts and we hit 32 nice. performance so the following year I made the early bird special the 32 snort special 32 bucks got you the weekend pass if you bought the early one so I'm using that format to do it in Alberta and because that's where I live I'm in, in Calgary and with all the travel restrictions and with BC people they've got a few knobs there that are vandalizing cars that show up um, I'm going to stay out of BC for a little while and produce it here at home. Nice. Well, we look forward to it. Absolutely. I speak for myself and for those I know that are <laughs> desperate to be able to get out and, and just laugh and chill out. So that's awesome. So in, in your estimation or your belief, is this all taking a little too long for you or is it? Oh, far too long. Um, because <laughs> Let me see your opinion. I'm, Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to because I, um, the first thing I did because I had no income and doing the paperwork for that uh, measly handout that Trudeau was doing was a nightmare of paperwork. And so I started doing uh, things like um, uh, grocery shopping for other people with a company. And, you know, there's people that were legitimate, you know, they just got back from out of country and they were on a 14 day quarantine and people with uh, immune compromised family members couldn't go out and shop. So I did that. And I've, I've mentioned it on stage in a couple of performances. People are like, oh, what a good guy. He's like, no, no, no. I did it for a really shitty paycheck. And it was a shitty paycheck. Uh, so that kind of got me over the hump until I found a, a driving job uh, to sort of subsidize. But I would rather be doing comedy. So that's what I've been doing since 93. Absolutely. Totally um, getting over the financial hump was, was tough. I had one residual check came in from XM Satellite Radio, which was kind of nice. I've got some comedy they play on there, uh, but that's only done quarterly, so you can't live off of that. And I was just about to produce a new album and set that up, and of course that's all been kibosh. Who knows when we can do another recording where you have a full-packed theater. Oh. It's just, I, I think the restrictions are overblown because I was in a Costco or a Walmart or a Safeway shopping for people every single day, sometimes two to three times into the stores. And social distancing, yeah, in the lineup, as soon as you get in there, people are like, get away, that's my melons, I wanna buy that, it's, it's, it's a joke. I, if, if there's COVID out there, maybe I came in contact with it, but 
I've been on a vitamin regimen. Uh, my girlfriend put me on one. She's a nurse. So I've been doing vitamins, eating healthy and, you know, sanitize, wash your hands, all that stuff. I've known two people that actually come down with the virus. They were on a cruise ship and they were sick for about a week and they recovered. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's very overblown. And we keep hearing reports of false positives and faulty test kits. And uh, the, what's really concerning me is the economic lockdown. We're seeing a, a massive jump in uh, overdose deaths, uh, suicides, and murder. And I think the lockdown is going to cause more problems than the virus ever did. Uh, now we've got to wear masks and stuff. I'm not a believer in the mask. I made one with uh, a Guy Fox mask and put a little one on there to go shopping. <laughs> I think it's stupid. That's awesome. I think it's very overblown. I, I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Oh, it's, it's not. But um, the numbers that they predicted... And the numbers that we're seeing aren't adding up all the models they said. So I, I think there's some ulterior motive behind it all because it's not as deadly as they said, and it's got a 99% recovery rate. And for that, they killed the economy. It's like, I've got some questions and red flags on this. Uh, yeah, I think that the truth will come out in a matter of months, but yeah. um, you never know. Hopefully it's a matter of months. And yeah. not dragged on forever because I'm I'm absolutely convinced that it's an economic thing, not a not a safety thing in, by any stretch of anyone's imagination. And I once upon a time in a past life had uh, I, I was working in surgery, so I was an assistant. But um, the method of containment, like it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Wearing you know social distancing and everybody going and touching all the mountains. <laughs> Just, it's like, okay, well, that was ruined. It's <laughs> all not have done anything all day because it doesn't matter. I know anymore. two people that have been on hold for uh, needed surgeries. Uh, yeah. They can't oh, they the the hospital. Like, uh, uh, my girlfriend's uh, mother is uh, a kidney patient. She's had a drain tube out her side that has to be rebandaged every couple of days and taken care of. And they can't do the surgery right now because of COVID concerns. And she's just one of literally millions of people around the world that are going to have health problems. In some cases, we've seen people die because they can't get medical treatment because they've overblown this COVID thing. I mean, there's hospitals sitting empty that were, they were worried about them being overrun, but they aren't being overrun. So why the lockdown? And it really, yeah, it really pisses me off that they, uh, a lot of them, the cause of death is COVID related so that they can put those stats under COVID. Whereas if there was no lockdown, it never would have happened. So yes, I'm totally with you. You're preaching to the choir on this one. And uh, if you're listening to this right now and you don't agree, we don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had to go for uh, dental work during this and that that took two weeks and I was on painkillers and antibiotics. I had a a tooth that I cracked about a year ago and I kind of left it and it wasn't bothering me. And of course, as soon as the lockdown came, it flared up and I was in so much pain and we ended up having to pull it. It was a back molar that cracked. I mean, being self-employed as an entertainer, you don't get a dental plan. So you put a few little minor things off and the amount of hurdles I had to jump through just to get in there and get that tooth pulled was ridiculous. It's put on your mask, numb me up, yank the thing. It's rotten. I know it's rotten. Oh, yeah. My my bad. I should have taken care of it before, but, you know, we all know everybody hates dentists. Sorry, dentists. <laughs> well, the internal dental assistant me. <laughs> oh, you're 14. Well, it's never a fun time, usually. No, 
not at all. Totally get it. I was the empathetic one, but I, I did learn a useful skill though. I, people can be eating and mumbling to this day and I still understand what they're saying. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, so you're doing better than me because every time I <laughs> in a store and someone's got a mask, I can't understand them. I have to get them to repeat it. And just to be a bit of a dick, even if I understand them, go, can you say that again? I can't hear you through your mask. And I'm just a dick about it because I'm not wearing the mask and you're behind a plexiglass shield wearing a mask and all I want to do is go, bah, you little sheep, bah. Mm-hmm. And I got into a bit of a kerfuffle with one of the clerks at a Safeway store. He was taking care of the other person in front of me, and I started putting my groceries. Oh, I got to sanitize the belt. I was like, "You just did. I don't want any more chemicals on my food." And he was all mad, and I had to bag my groceries off to the side. And he's sitting there wearing his mask and sweating. He's like, "You're probably not going to live a long life." <laughs> I've got an um, immune system. You should build one. They're just doing what they're told to do, and it's just. Oh, yeah, it pains me. I, I'm with you. So let's talk about happy thoughts. <laughs> yes. We have toilet paper again. There's a happy Yay. thought. <laughs> um, going, going back into the comedy business. So you were, you practiced while you were driving, but how did you actually get into comedy as a business? Oh, okay. Um, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Kerry Tom, a very good friend of mine. Uh, I was bartending at this little lounge downtown Winnipeg. I was living in Winnipeg at the time. And uh, every weekend they would turn into a comedy club and he ran it. And I was cracking jokes behind the bar. And Carrie uh, asked me, he's like, Hey, you're funny. Why don't you go up next week, next week, or I'll give you a couple of weeks to prepare and do five minutes. And so I did. And it was kind of funny, not funny, <laughs> but I got some laughs and I was hooked. And so I started doing uh, comedy that way uh, and toured for a bit and then um, got married during that period after a couple couple years of doing comedy and my new wife did not want to be the spouse of a traveling entertainer Mm -hmm. so I dropped out for about seven years and got back into it in 93 after a lot of fighting and the marriage crumbled she went on to have a happy life with somebody else and I went on to tell dick jokes in small towns in Saskatchewan (laughs) and all over the world on the edge of climax yeah, and um, I've been doing it since since then. So that's how I got into it. I've always been a fan of comedy growing up as a kid. Uh, my parents, when I was little, would let me watch Johnny Carson. If there was a comedian on, I could stay up until the comedian was on. And it was great because that was usually the last guess. So I'd be up late on a school night, but I was just hooked. And I would take albums of uh, comedians out of the library, uh, Steve Martin, um, Bob Newhart, and George Carlin. And before we knew he was a pervert, uh, Bill Cosby, I used to listen, he was funny. Uh, he, he was, was a bad funny. man, but he was funny. And I would listen to these albums. I, I've still got Steve Martin bits I can quote almost verbatim because I was just addicted to it. So when this opportunity came up, because I remember as a child watching a comedian on TV for the very first time, I went, you can tell jokes and make a living? Cool. And I thought that was the best job in the whole world. Because nice. I was only a class clown growing up as a kid. My dad... Uh, worked for a company that could not give him a promotion without moving him to another office division. So we got bounced around. I went through the doors of eight schools in 12 years. Wow. So to, you know, fit in, I used comedy as my uh, icebreaker and my defense. And I found out if you can make the tough kids in class laugh, they don't want to punch you out. So uh, I honed my skills as a child that way. Nice. Always always been into looking at the, the funny things in life. I love it. So what made you decide to go and get a real job intermittently the first time, as opposed to just going straight on the stage and going, hey? Uh, 
financial reality. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing with comedy is it takes many years until you can make a good living at it. And uh, some of the young kids starting out now, you need to listen. You don't become a headliner just because you got a bunch of Instagram idiot friends. You have to hone it. And uh, typically the average is five, five years before you're headlining small towns on the road and about eight years before you can headline the clubs. That is the average. Mm -hmm. Some do it sooner. Mm -hmm. Some take a lot longer. So you don't really make a living at it until you hit headliner status. And another way to stretch that is to hone your MC skills because you can work at a comedy club two to three times a year as an MC, but only once a year as a headliner. So if you get the MC weeks, it, it helps you grow as a comic because you have to be the happy guy. Here's the show. Here's a few jokes. You bring up an act. You think of something else. Oh, I'm going to try out this bit. So you have a chance to build everything up. And I always believe if you're a good MC, you can be a good headliner. So it was uh, many years before I could just do it full time. Wow. So I was, um, I started taking a course on uh, comedy and writing for comedy because I want to incorporate it into the talks that we do. Um, because, you know, talking about <laughs> IT and marketing is pretty boring at the best of times. Yeah. So if we you know, jazz it up just a little bit because, and usually the people that I'm selling to aren't the ones that are using it anyway. So there's no point in talking about the actual thing. So it, I just figured, hey, we'll, we'll incorporate it in because uh, I think it'll work better if I pre-plan um, what I'm going to say yeah. as opposed to just off the cuff and offending a lot of people. Which and and using but. comedy for a presentation <laughs> is a good idea because uh, a lot of studies prove you have a higher retention rate if you learn through humor than just dry facts. And I remember in school, I had a few teachers that would be just, they're clowns. They would, they would crack us up but I would remember what they taught me because they made it interesting and I taught a few workshops on uh, MC and I used to call it uh, if you can MC you can headline and I had salespeople that would show up with no interest in doing stand-up they just want to learn how to uh, create jokes in their presentation and keep humor on there I mean look at Mark Twain he had a great sense of humor and people quote him all the time because he was funny but he also yeah. was very smart mm -hmm. so have you thought about doing digital training at all during this I don't like digital training. I, I well, clearly, if you've never seminars, been on Zoom like, before. Oh, you can watch a webinar. I was like, no, I want live. I'm, I'm old school. I mean, I'm, I'm still pounding stuff into rock and using paper and pen. I, I don't, maybe I'm, I'm a dinosaur that way. I don't know. I don't like doing the digital thing. But if there was a way to set it up and monetize it, I guess I would do it. It's just, I find it hard to get excited to look at a computer instead of a room full of faces. I totally so, get that. I can appreciate that. Yeah. I, have I, you thought about writing? Oh, I have done some writing. I've had a few articles published in that. Uh, now with everything going digital, I find a lot of publications um, don't pay very much mm -hmm. for, for an article compared to when it was in print. So the amount of effort to do an article, and a lot of times you have to do it pro bono until they see what you've done. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really a fan of working for free. I mean, I've been no, at this really? long enough. I can produce quality stuff. I shouldn't have to do it for free. I know that's a bit of ego there, but I could use that time for, for other things. Figure out a way to monetize it or do regular um, writing of articles. I just have to find the publication that will do that and make it worthwhile because unless they're paying a certain number per words, why put all that effort in when I can, when I can go drive a truck and make more money? Exactly. Do you know how this has affected like the comedy industry, like, um, like Hollywood or any of the, like, the big uh, things? Well, Hollywood is suffering... Um, from lack of production and lately uh, we're finding a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of pedophiles and uh, 
sexual assault people in Hollywood. There's this whole pedophile ring that all these um, celebrities are being named. And I've been keeping a close eye on that. I noticed that mainstream media kind of, oh, I'm just going to push that away. But Ellen DeGeneres is one right now who's uh, on the hot seat. Uh, her show has been canceled. Apparently she was a sexual predator of, of uh, she's part of that whole child trafficking ring that is connected to um, Epstein's Island is what I've been reading. And I find the most vocal people that are out there pushing the COVID thing, wear a mask and that are probably some of the most guilty ones. So Hollywood's doing their own implosion. Comedy itself, uh, everybody who does stand up is suffering. A lot of comedy rooms that used to do once a week have disappeared. Mm. Some of the bar venues have closed because you can only last so long without income. I haven't seen any comedy, full-time comedy clubs uh, close yet, but that could just be a matter of time because they are reopening, but with half the capacity. And they've got all these different rules and restrictions and that costs money. I mean, you have to have sanitizer. You got to enforce the, the mask rule coming in and out. You can only be six feet apart from people. And the more you spread a comedy audience out, the more you dilute the energy. So they are all suffering right now. I don't know of any club that's thriving right now. They're just hanging on. It doesn't help that the Canadian government refuses to acknowledge that stand-up comedy is an art form. I mean, there's a petition going, there's a, a group of people that are pushing for it, and it is an art form, but of course governments don't like people that are free thinkers and say whatever the hell they want. There's that. <laughs> That's why they only push comedy like on CBC. Here we go, milk toast, generic, family fun. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, do you think that there, like, are there different rules for uh, comedy shops than there are for bars? Uh, for a while there was, because bars and restaurants were starting to reopen. And I know um, the comic strip in West Edmonton Mall opened for a couple of shows and the health officials came and said, no, no, you can't do that. And their reasoning was laughter can spread droplets. And I went, oh, for fuck. Oh, my really? God. I was just like grasping at straws so they had all these rules and uh even that common that <laughs> was down there practicing this week you have to wear your mask if you get up from the table to go to the washroom or if you go for a smoke you have to put sanitizer on uh the performers all had to stay in one little corner they couldn't go and visit friends so it's very restrictive uh, compared to what we used to have and it is it is hurting the industry and like i said it's it's going to just be a matter of time before some clubs might have to fold. I mean, they still have to pay the electricity. They got to pay the, the lease on the place. They've got staff to take care of. And it's hard to do that when you don't have the people coming in the door. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, well, and the, the whole death of small business because people are buying everything on Amazon and from Walmart. And it's yeah. like, seriously, yeah. people, do you not think how this is going to affect your next door neighbor? Like. Yeah, that whole yeah, business aspect of it is just <laughs> driving me I found, crazy. I found but. it odd that Walmart could be open, but a mom and pop shop could not. And it's easier to police a mom and pop shop. So there's there's um, there's some kind of evil ul ulterior motive behind all this. You know, why, yeah. why can't a mom and pop shop just go get two people at a time, but at least they're open. And it's been devastating to small business. Well, and it makes sense to me to have two people in a small store at a time. It makes no sense to me at all that people have to line up outside of huge warehouse type stores inside. Yeah. You know there's more room inside than we're using right here, right? Oh, I know. I just, anyway. Anyway, with, so with, how do you think we're going to get shows. back? Sorry, let's, with comedy let's shows too, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's odd that uh, they're restricting the size of the audience, 
yet there was zero enforcement of social distancing at any protest rally and also zero reports of COVID cases, but people go to the beach. Oh my God, there's an outbreak. Yeah. Whatever. Pinocchio media, not buying it. I, I'm so with you. And I'm going to take you to another one. So with audiences, um, when they do come back, do you see it being more corporate gigs that'll probably take off first or will it be the bar scene? What do you think is going to take off first? It'll be uh, a combination of bar and uh, comedy clubs and private shows uh, like these backyard shows I was oh. talking about. The corporate shows, um, they're, they're a different animal. And there's only a handful of comics in the industry that can do it properly. Uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I understand that when you go to a corporate show, you have been hired to entertain those people. So you have to shelve your ego. You, you have to deal with a, an interruption or a heckle differently. And you can't do anything that's going to be offensive to anyone because the person who set it up, their career is on the line. It's like, yeah, you booked that comic and he pissed off Nancy and Karen in accounting and now they're all over us. And so... <laughs> You can't have that backlash and often too you're put in a place where it's not really comedy friendly i've done some of you show up at the show the money's good everyone's had their dinner they might be a little tipsy from a few drinks and now you're a comedian and you're on the dance floor with a 20-foot moat of space before the first table under fluorescent lights they don't have it set up properly so i don't see a lot of corporate shows coming back until the restrictions are reduced i can also see um, corporate corporations worried about the liability and so they may not do them as well. So I think it will be more of private shows on private land and, and backyards and that type of thing until the weather holds up and we're into indoor now, that's a different animal because the restrictions are a lot more strict indoors than outdoors. Well, yeah. And Alberta, we can have up to 200 people now outdoors and they've slowly relaxed that. And the whole thing is first I have to find a place to do it. And I can't do it on uh, public land because the red tape hoops you got to jump through it's not worth it so wow. private land is better make it a private function where if you don't have your admission ticket you're not allowed in there right and i'm assuming you can't go across this down to the states either and do a show no. down in san diego where it's nice and warm but we can't no. travel so that's not gonna happen the only good side for that is uh, canadian comedy clubs can book canadian acts again instead of hey. uh, here's your headliner from la you know like there's a bunch of funny guys that live here but here's another guy from new york but there's a bunch of funny guys here and, and by guys i mean all genders uh and I, I get them i'm not walking People. on the nancy or, or the not the nancy the, the karen wording of stuff it's like guys means everybody as far as i'm concerned so that is a good upside is uh we are booking more canadian acts in the clubs but there's also a list of hungry guys that you got to Put your name on before you're going to get your turn and like i said you can only work the club maybe once a year so how many clubs are there across canada compared to how much money can you make at that so it'll just be a small portion of the income well, acting back though at least well and it brings up a point of uh i've always thought canadians were funnier than americans anyways <laughs> i agree we got a little bit of british in us we got a little bit of americana in us and so we're we're a blend that the, uh, the American comics can't quite tap into. Well, I also think it has to do with the fact that we travel a lot more. And I mean, we just, we have experiences to be able to draw on from everywhere. And we've tested our material on everybody that we come across just because we are yeah. so sarcastic and <laughs> whatever. I love sarcasm. If you speak sarcasm, that's my language. 
<laughs> now we're talking. Cool. So, and any opinion as to why Canadians in your mind uh, might be funnier than the rest, other than the Canadian British thing? I would say it, it's because um, we have a more worldly view of everything. Where Americans, uh, due to their education system, that they tend to just look at America. They they, they think America is the whole world. Uh, not all of them, but I mean a vast majority of them. They, I mean, if you walk around on any major city street in the States and ask them about our prime minister, they're going, who's that? What's that? They don't know about anything else. And I, I, I wish I could remember the comic's name. I saw him on TV years ago. He had a great bit about making fun of Americans and he wasn't American, but he, he nailed it. He goes, America. Yeah. We're number one. We're America. We're number one. You ask any American, what do you think of uh, Europe? And they'll go, Oh, it's cool. It's a lot like Epcot center. <laughs> it <Yeah>. is actually. <laughs> Yeah, that center is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's, um, their education system tends to concentrate just on their own history. They don't right. know a whole lot about other countries, uh, even modern history. So I think that's why Canadians as, as, as stand-up comics do better because we can look at Canada, we can look at Europe, we can look at US, and we have an opinion and a viewpoint and a joke for all of that. And when I went down to Australia, I found that uh, the Canadian comics were very, very well received, uh, probably better than most of the American comics, with a few exceptions of guys who really developed a, a core audience, but they were a little more aware of world uh, events than your average uh, American, and so they did well down there. And I, I think that is why we do better. I do notice that a lot of... Unless we move. What's that? We don't get as famous unless we move. Fair and enough. The sad thing about Canada is we have no star system. Every famous... Oh, hang on. I left my phone on. It's a, a number I don't want to answer. 800 numbers. <laughs> Leave a voicemail if you're real. Uh, we don't have a star system here. Every, every Canadian who's gotten famous has done so by going to the U.S. or the U.K. The only exception would probably be like Brent Butt. He stayed here and did quite well with his Corner Gas TV show and everything. But now that Corner Gas is over, he has to rebuild on something else to, to keep that fame going. He's probably still doing very well, but we don't tout our stars. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a star system here and it's sad. Right. I, I, I can name all kinds of great Canadian acts uh, in stand-up that people should know and they don't. And is that just because of population or something well, we else are, going on? Yeah, we are spread out, but we also don't have that pride like America does. We thump our chest like, yeah, we're Canada. We're number one. We're like, hey, we're Canada. Who's it going, eh? Come have a beer. We don't, we don't push our own stuff. Like, there's so many things that Canadians have done that should be out in the forefront. I mean, Americans still think they invented the telephone. No, no, it was us. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't, we don't toot our own horn. And I don't know why we're like that. Maybe it's just the, the population density spread over such a large landmass, and the fact that our TV entertainment system is kindergarten level compared to the American one. Fair enough. One state broadcaster and a few stations that just buy American shows. They don't really produce a lot of Canadian content, which is very sad. It is really. Because I, I have noticed that Canadians just, I mean, we don't um, toot our own horns at all. I think we're taught not to from a very young age. Yeah, and, um, but I also think in some ways that kind of makes us funnier because we're not um just out there for to be heard we're out there to be understood uh, which i think is a completely different form of communication and and it's a little 
to, in my opinion, wittier. Because I've noticed that a lot of the American comedians tend to lean on current events and making yeah. fun of whatever the thing is that's going on. And a lot of times I just, I don't watch the news because I have a very biased opinion of what the news is. So I get my comedy from Fox and CNN and I get my, <laughs> my news from others. Yeah. <laughs> Not a fan of mass media. Six corporations are running it. I, I like to look at alternate sources, but I, I see where exactly. you're coming from that. So, it, I mean, a lot of the comedians, I just kind of, that, there went that, and I have no idea who you're talking about, whereas uh, I think I, when we watch um, kind of the, the bigger comedians here, they're talking about, like, what life was like growing up for them. So, I mean, it's funny, because I don't have to know them, and I don't have to um, have a history. I just, I get what it's like having grown up, and I get the references. So. Mm -hmm. I think that but might have a lot to do with it. Some of the references don't work outside of Canada as well. Um, I know one guy who's very, very funny, uh, and he's uh, done very well, Derek Edwards. He went over to the UK and his Northern Ontario hoser upbringing from Timmins, Ontario, and talking about camping and at the, the British went, we have no frame of reference. And when I went to Australia, I had some jokes that used to do well where I was mocking our cold winters, and I could just see tilt across her eyes like, hey, mate, we don't get winter. We don't know what you're talking about. So there, there is that problem. We have some great things to talk about that are very funny topics to us. But if you take them outside our borders, they fall flat. So unless you do a little bit of traveling, I, I've always tried to write an international show. Uh, years ago, we used to have a regular gig in uh, Banff, and right, right in the Banff town site. And it was a lot of fun because it would test you because the audience wasn't Canadians. The audience was the world. You had people from Sweden, from England, from the US, from Australia, New Zealand, Africa, all, all different European countries, and someone would broken English. And if you did a local reference, it would fall flat. So you had to try and write jokes for that crowd that would encompass the entire globe. And right. the only thing that would work is if you had a really good local reference about something right in Banff that they possibly had seen. Like the moose. I've watched some very funny people die horrible deaths on that stage because they came in with their regular stuff and well, the guys from Sweden don't get it. And the guys from England and Scotland, they don't get it either. So you have to write something that's more universal. I wish that gig was still going. It was a lot of fun. Nice. For those of you who don't know, Banff is a touristy area in the Rocky Mountains here where we get people from all over the world coming and visiting every year. And uh, we were talking about <laughs> about one of the our courses down in San Diego and a lot of the guys were like, it, it's a really weird euphemism going, Banff. And it's like, no, it's the name of town. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, they were thinking it was like, Banff. <laughs> Those people that don't get it, I always tell them that they have to pronounce both the Fs. Exactly. Just to send them on their little way. Yeah, Keep saying it. It's a beautiful, beautiful town, a beautiful uh, park too. It's, it was the first yeah. national park in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And it was, it is. But right now it's on only semi opening and you got to wear masks going down the street, which is stupid because you're out in the fresh mountain air, the lowest risk area. And they've got people wearing masks. So I'm kind of boycotting them until they smarten up. Well, and it's really starting to piss me off that people are leaving their garbage and shit and masks and gloves oh, all over the place. And it's like, that. oh, you, ooh, no, 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 we're praying for it. Yeah, my backwoods uh, camping trips with my girlfriend this summer, we have brought out bags full of garbage of stuff that was not ours. We've also, people leave some really incredible stuff there. I got a new camp stove that was left behind and someone left some towels hanging in the tree that were like brand new. So we took them home and double washed them. And our most recent trip, uh, solar rechargeable little patio lanterns. 
They've been left oh, in their trees. So we charge them up and damn, if they didn't work all night long. So that's in my camp box, just string those up and have a nice <laughs> little lighting path to go off there. But yeah, the garbage, uh, that was from the government doing the shutdown of the campground. So all these people who used to go campground camping now went backwoods camping and they're amateurs at it and they just figure that there's someone to clean up their trash. No, no, there's not. You have to do it yourself. Garbage in, garbage camping, out, people. Pack it in, pack it out and grab any extra. Exactly. Yes. I'm I've even been going around the Glenmore Reservoir, uh, a water kind of lake here in yep. Calgary, and uh, I find a garbage bag, pick it up, and then just start throwing all the plastic in it, throw it in the garbage. It's like I could camp with you. You're a good one. Yeah, they drive me crazy, crazy, crazy. Yep. But again, uh, there's well, a lot of things that drive me crazy, so I'm not going <laughs> to dwell on that shit. I would way rather dwell on laughing and seeing how we can get you uh, out there more and making more money and doing your thing. So. Um, it's been awesome talking to you, but when uh, people want to get a hold of you, they want to watch your stuff, where do they go? What do they do? I've got stuff on YouTube. I haven't done a lot of um, recent YouTube stuff. My main computer just before the uh, economy started to tank, and that's been going on for four years because we had uh, a provincial federal government that basically attacked the oil and gas industry and decimated it. And that was a big chunk of my income. I used to do a lot of shows for them, but oil and gas companies that just laid off 2000 people aren't booking entertainers. And my music musician friends are saying the same thing. And so my, uh, my big computer for crunching video it fried and I haven't been able to replace it. So to do new videos and post them, I've been a little bit lax uh, to do that. Uh, but I do have stuff on YouTube. Uh, you can go to darylmack.com. That's D-A-R-Y-L-M-A-K-K.com. And I will be setting up some shows. If you've got a group of people, I can bring myself and some friends out. I've got the PA system. I've got the lights. I've got pipe and drape backdrop. I can set up a whole stage in your yard, get a hold of me and I'll come out and do a show. Even if we just do pay what you think. I've done shows like that. Here's an envelope. Laugh your ass off. Tell me we think the show is worth. Do it anonymously. Because I get it. Some people are tight on money. And uh, I'll do it that way. Nice. That sounds awesome. And for those of you who are listening who are outside of Alberta and Canada, go ahead and check out Daryl's stuff. He's hilarious. And I'm uh, sure as soon as this COVID thing is over, uh, I'll travel we'll, to we'll figure problem. some other stuff out. Yeah. And uh, right now in Manitoba doing some outdoor shows. So I will travel to another province. Nice. And if you happen to have the right setup for a Zoom meeting where people are sitting around drinking, laughing, and having fun, we can teach Daryl how to make money online. <laughs> Please do. Honestly. Then I can just sit at home and drink beer and get rich. Exactly. Well, sit here and watch you and laugh our asses off, and it'll all be great. Awesome. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you waking up for me because I know oh, you're yeah. off hours it, now. And it was, a, it was a late, late night. So I'm running about five hours of sleep and now I'm going up to the garage to work on a vehicle with a friend. Nice. That sounds awesome. Well, you have an awesome, awesome time. And I'm hoping COVID is getting over soon and we can go back to the comedy shops and uh, we will be seeing you there. And if not, I will see you in a backyard somewhere near you soon. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone sees a, a comedy show that is going on, please go out and support it because the, uh, the art form needs your help. And if you don't help it, it's, it's going to slowly uh, disappear into nothing. So Absolutely. support your live entertainment. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having us. And uh, I'm just going to say, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic that you'd like me to discuss, reach out at Michelle at the Little Blue Pill for Business, or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.